Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Hey everyone, welcome again to another episode of the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, alongside, as always, Paul Gillieri. Hello to you, Paul. How's it going? It is going very well. How are you this evening, Jason? I'm all right. This week, I'm going to give you both a greeting and a salutation. Oh boy. That's how good I feel. Oh boy. Because we are going to have a great show. We talked about drummers last week. Mm -hmm. We decided that our favorite drummer is who? Matt Cameron. Matt Cameron. Or, as Edward Jerome Vetter has called him many times, Matt fucking Cameron. Yes. He might be legally em- changed to that. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. You know what? We should look into that. We should. Anywho, so we thought, you know what? We've come out of that episode. Now, let's talk about his, our favorite songs of his. And this is not the first time we've done something like this, Jason. Correct. We did a little, uh, little Jeff Ament earlier in the uh, in the series here, mm-hmm. and you know these. Obviously, Matt's been in multiple bands, but we're t- we're talking Pearl Jam. That's it. Yeah, just Pearl those Jam. are the parameters. We got to stay in that lane. Yes, and like or unlike Jeff, I should say, he has fewer songs to choose from. So we we've, we've narrowed it down from a top five that we did with Jeff. And that we will do with other members of the band to a, to a top three, just to make it a little bit more fair. Correct. Um, and, you know, the parameters are similar uh, with Jeff, as in what will constitute a Matt song? Well, it's one that he has a writing credit on, either lyrically and or um, musically. Obviously, if he's the sole songwriter, that's bonus points. If he wrote the lyrics as well, mega bonus points. So those mm-hmm. things factor into or weight you know, the song choice for us. Um, so, uh, after we do that, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but let's, let's lay, lay out the land here. Well, after that, we're going to do an over under on backspacer. And then we're going to do our live cut and lyric of the week per usual. But first let's talk about Matt. So, uh, we, we always have like a little honorable mention because we can't help ourselves. So, mm-hmm. What's like your little, like, you know, it, it was, it's great, but I couldn't sneak it into the top three. You know, it's a song that I've come to appreciate for its place in the Pearl Jam catalog, but it's not a song I ever actively seek. I don't skip it, but it's not a song that I can say I particularly enjoy that much, but I do appreciate. Uh, and that song is called The Fixer. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, Matt brings this riff to the band and they play around with it, work out some different arrangements. Ed rearranges it again and then all the parts are in the right place, like a little puzzle, and then you get the final arrangement and then, you know, off we go. But it was Matt coming in with this groove, you know, this, this heavy riff. And in typical Matt, fashion you know odd time signatures and switching back and forth and you know just my notes here the song starts out in five four then it moves to six four right and the chorus and the bridge are both in four four and it has this like straightforward kind of power chord feeling pop song you know groove to it and it is very unlike pearl jam for some reason mm-hmm. i think when that album came out and i heard that song i remember thinking this is remarkably upbeat and i was into yeah. it because it was different and refreshing and uh i feel like pearl jam segues beautifully from brooding in into introspective but these weird kind of pockets of poppy happiness um they have their place they're allowed to be happy <laughs> like, what would be, what would be <laughs> another? Obviously, they, can, they they should be happy, but like, what's I'm trying to think of other songs that have that more upbeat quality. That well, I mean, you have ballads has. like Sirens and things like that, but I mean, it's in terms of this upbeat kind of yeah. I mean, you, you really don't have much of them. This there 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 are probably a handful of songs in their catalog that really stand out as outliers, 
And this one does, I think, both musically and lyrically on so many different levels. So, I don't know. I, uh, I, I've got a lot of respect for its place in the band's catalog, like I said. And at the time, I mean, I want to say they advertised this album with the whole Target release. It was, mm. was centered around this particular song, if I yeah. recall. Lead single, like the I believe. The video was like them playing live, right? And Yeah, it was a lead single, right? So it's uh, it's re- refreshing from time to time. And so in that respect, it, it didn't quite make my top three, uh, only because it's, like I said, you know, it's, just, it, it's this weird bubblegum pop that that has its place but it's it's something that i think if, if i got too much more of it i'd want to pop it <laughs> and oh by the way we did choose this as our lyric and live cut of the week some episodes ago and if you do not recall yeah. i believe we chose october 28th 2009 i think it was the first show of the run of four at the, at the spectrum in philadelphia yeah i think it was so go have a taste of that if you want um my honorable mention would be the song get right oh off of riot act i really do like this this is one of those fun quick punky rocker songs agreed and it's completely written by matt and he does the music and the lyrics i love the the simple chorus uh chord progression and it gets that head bobbing which is always a good sign and rarely do you hear a song that so heavily relies on guitar harmonics and the same one at that so it's the it's the main riff and, and right. mike mike plays this lie while while stone kind of plays the, the um complimentary parts i'm not sure who who was meant to do that originally but that's that's how they do it live um and then you know mike plays this with uh, jeff doing his bass line and all, all over matt's beat and i think it's really really cool and i love how it gets into mike's solo in the first few bars Matt has this like syncopated funky beat thing before launching into a more like conventional one. Right. And then Mike follows suit and just melts us away with with the with the solo. It's awesome. And the final chorus is cool because it's doubled and there's this bar in between where Matt hits a cowbell four times. Which I don't know if I've ever heard them do a cowbell in a song before, but I go, what is that? Just four times, that's it. Little bridge between the two chorus, two parts of the chorus. And you know, this song uses hand claps in a way that the fixer wishes yep. it did. Exactly. Which is yeah. well done. No, it is. <laughs> in my opinion. So, um, you know, it fades out, which I'm not a big fan of, but that means in the live setting, that's just more room for Mike to go crazy on. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a real fun little song. It is. It's an underrated little ditty on Riot Act. And uh, it's just, it's very Matt Cameron. I think when, when you hear that song, if somebody said, hey, which band member do you think had the biggest hand in composing this? You'd be hard-pressed to not say that that's a Matt Cameron song. Right. All right. So proper number three for you. Start the countdown now. Oh, boy. I would say in looking at everything Matt has put together with the band, um, it's probably Crop Duster. Mm. Yeah. I, it's it, This album, Riot Act, it, it's very Matt-heavy in that respect. And... I think it's underrated when you consider that it featured some of the band's most introspectively existential work. You don't get that a lot in all of their albums. And the two songs that embodied that most are I Am Mine and Crop Duster. And the latter, Crop Duster, is, is my, f- actually it's my second favorite Matt Cameron song in the Pearl Jam catalog. But why is it three then? What's that? I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. <clears throat> so it was a standout track to me when I first heard the album. I was not wowed with riot act i don't know a lot of people that that heard riot act the first time and said oh that this is one of their best you know um it's since grown on me considerably um it this particular track was a standout for me upon first listen mostly due to the intro and its chorus and i love the staccato of the music in the chorus Uh, lyrically while most of the song is a bit clunky especially in the beginning uh, you you get this chorus and it really elevates it. You know, everyone is practicing. It's clearly a reference to the practice of faith. And this world is an accident. I was the fool because I thought, I thought the world turns out the world thought me. Great line. It's, it's one of their best actually. Mm. It's all the other way around. We're upside down, 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 down. Let the fluency set it down, down. Let the fluency set it down. There's an upside of down. Yeah. So it's just this dismantling of the idea that our world is actually meant for us. 
and we share it and we're constantly proving that we probably don't deserve it the way that we think we do, given how we rape, exploit, and abuse the planet and all of its natural resources. Well said. Uh, you know, we aren't the center of the universe. Yet, so many of us live our lives very selfishly, as though we are the center of our own universe, anyway, in right. our heads. And really, the song seems to be an indictment of that and of in some respects of organized religion and this emphasis on the importance and superiority of us as humans within this grand scheme of, of greater life and existence. And I, like I said, let the fluency set in. I think it's one of the most underrated lyrics on the album. So for me, this was, this was uh, just an easy, easy pick. This is the, uh, the Galileo song for me. Mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. else is thinking, yeah, we, you know, we go around this, or the sun goes around us. No, no, no. Other way around. We go around the sun. We're not the center of this whole thing. Yeah. It's a great choice. Um, I'm going to go with my number three pick with In the Moonlight. Oh, oh nice. Love this. From the woodwork. Number. Such it a is funky a good groove, one. man. I, it's just, funky groove, funky arrangement. I can't even figure out, like, if you were labeling verse, pre-chorus, choruses like ABC, bridge, D, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. When you're arranging a song, that's generally how you kind of do it. Right. And I, there's no... There's no I don't want to say rhyme or reason, but there's little precedent in my brain for the way that they've arranged this. And it's another song completely written by Matt, music and lyrics. And I love this little subtle organ hit at the end of the In the Moonlight line before it turns over to the next line. It's in the right side of the mix if you're wearing headphones or got big speakers. And Mm -hmm. the change of tone and rhythm that Nightbird line is such a cool break. It's a great groove, and it keeps the listener kind of on their toes with how it's just that one bar. Right. I love the mic solo, the lead, with that rotary effect on it. It just cuts through the perfect point in the song, and it sounds like there's an acoustic guitar in the final Nightbird part, which is I hadn't really noticed before. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, at the end, another mic solo. Uh, rips your face off. I love Matt's use of the ride symbol throughout the outro. It's kind of like that, you know, the, the, the bell of the, of the of the symbol. It's almost like a um, like it's leading you, almost like right. you're, like a cattle call. <laughs> it's leading you down this down this outro, and it is again another song that fades out, which is you know not my favorite thing. But again, like it right, just as there's more time for for Matt or for uh, Mike to really do his thing. So. Mm-hmm. It's such a really cool song. You know, I I think we both included it on our restructuring of binaural. Right. And it's just it's a great song. It is a great song. I, I have to commend you on that pick. That 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 one there to me is like it's one of those underrated kind of B sides that when they played live at Alpine, right? For for their anniversary. Oh man. Um it was it was consciously chosen in that respect, and and you you almost wish that they played it more often. I, I think it could be kind of you know if you look back at songs like Leaving Here and and um, some of those tracks from from the No Code era uh, that they would play live. I'd love to see songs like In the Moonlight kind of make those those appearances. I think when they start going live again, be really yeah, cool. and I think. I think I feel like they probably tro- chose it for Alpine Valley because they probably had Josh Home in mind to come along because there is a really cool backing vocal feature to that song. Yes, which isn't even mentioned, but he, you know, Josh is so great that he added the extra layer to it, and so that was a really great version of that song. But anywho, what's your number two? My number two might surprise you a little bit, and uh, you you might want to call me out on 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 cheating here. But it's Dance of the Clairvoyance. That's not and cheating. It's not your typical Matt song in the sense that he brought all the music and, and they just kind of accompanied him. Really, this is a very much a, a full accompaniment where the whole band contributed to writing this. But it's the drum programming and Matt's ability to put together a live percussion sound that somehow replicates this electronic sound that to me makes the song. But it was the seed too. It was the seed. That, that, was, that drum program was the beginning that Stone heard, and then Stone played the bass line, and it all sprouted from there. So it, it, exactly. it started as a Matt song. 
It did. It did. And so that's why for me, I'm, I'm qualifying it as one, even though he doesn't necessarily have the this heavy, heavy hand in its composition in the way that he does on a song like Get Right or or uh, or Crop Duster. But I think that the, the mixing of the instrumentation, um, Mike's guitar part is just off the charts. And the whole song to me, again, he's always at the center. Matt, he's always at the center of the band's most ambitious. And when he is, they really tend to shine in those moments for me. Um, those songs, they really stand out. I think if you tried to couple all of them, not couple, but if you tried to group all of them together into like like a separate mixtape almost, mm. it would be a wild sound for the band. I mean, there'd be very little continuity, obviously, but it'd be a really interesting soundscape, you know, just to kind of look at the full spectrum of, of what they're capable of. But this particular song really, really stands out for me from a percussion standpoint and the way that the rest of the music just seems to center around that beat. Uh, and it just opens itself up and it has to center around the beat because it has this electronic influence to it and that genre of music is so percussion based that you, you really have to find your way to swim with that current as opposed to marching to the beat of your own proverbial drum and in this case Matt's drum is the one you've got to march to and they march to it very very well it's funny you bring you know his drumming as the focal point of the song. I mean, it's obvious that, you know, this this genre is more of, of a drum-oriented song. And, and I think that's right. why I wasn't so into it in the beginning was because it, it felt too electronic mm -hmm. for my taste. Um, but this song has grown on me and... I have distilled that the part of the drumming that I don't care for isn't his drumming, actually. It's the little digital hi-hat flutters that they added in with his dry recorded beat. Right. So I can separate those two. I'm looking forward to the live cut because I'll be, I'll be like down for that. I'll be so into yeah, it. Yeah. All right. My number two, you mentioned it before, Crop Duster. So you, you mentioned what this song's really about. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really into the vibe and 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 the whole turning that thing on its head. We're not the center of the universe thing. That just adds to the music, which the music for me was the harder. We, we, we had our episode way back when about songs we didn't used to like and then have grown to love. Mm -hmm. I didn't include Crop Duster, but it, it was it is one of those songs that I didn't like as much in the beginning, and I've really grown, especially lately, to really really like. And it's because you have this opening guitar part that seems to be in a different key right. than when the verse kicks in. It creates mm -hmm. this strange sense of anxiety, I think. And then the verse seems to bounce along with this picking guitar part that's complementing each other. In the last measure, the mood kind of descends a bit before returning to its bounce in the second verse. Like that's the that's the transition from one verse to the next. And another song, like In Hiding, where the pre-chorus and the chorus feel like they're on level pegging in the hierarchy of the right. song, you know? Right. And I think that's very unique, and I like that here. The lead line break before verse three is a really nice transition back to the bouncing soundscape from, of the verses. And that third verse, it has the same rhythm, but the guitars are staccato chords. They're completely different to the first two verses. It's not like the same little picking pattern. No. Now, after the second chorus, the transition into the, let the fluency line uh, bridge section it's just so smooth and it makes total sense but changes the mood and it feels like the music is finally matching the mood of the lyrics in a challenging anti antagonistic sense kind of almost yeah i guess antagonistic is the right word for that and then yeah like a lovely callback the very opening guitar parts come back as a bridge to the outro which feels like you're tumbling down a mountain just after Ed sings the uh, There's an Upside of Down one that you mentioned before, you know, in this, this outro that you're barreling downhill with Ed singing The Moon is Rolling Around the World, which is a great right. visual to think about. Another fade-out song, but again, you can go nuts with this. So it doesn't bother me because then I go to the, the live cuts and I'm like, oh yeah, there it is. Right. And um, so, you know, really diving into the song for this specific episode, I heard more things that I hadn't heard before and it all kind of started to make more sense. So I'm like, damn, this is a Matt song? 
Like he did, what, did he do everything on this? He, he was the primary. He didn't do the vocals, but he, he was a primary songwriter. He was a sole right. songwriter. And man, what a, what a good song. It's, it's, it, it really is. All right, number one. Well, this is not a surprise for me. It's You Are. Mm-hmm. Um, it is my favorite song on Riot Act. Uh, funny how most of my favorite tracks off that album are Matt Cameron songs, actually. Mm. So it's it's uh, he he ultimately saved that album for me. <laughs> uh, you know, does does the opening lyrics make this song qualify as a Pearl Jam driving song? I oftentimes remember, mm. or I should say, I oftentimes uh, uh, ponder because it begins with the broken wheel is coming undone. So it just makes me think of songs like MFC, Rearview Mirror, and so on. But this song has some of the, the most romantic lyrics in their entire catalog. And there's a beauty in its simplicity and in its brevity. But the, the imagery that gets evoked is really moving. It's really profound. It's lyrically a ballad to me, the way that Sirens strives to be. Mm. Right? I, I feel yeah. like Sirens, it just kind of. It just kind of sits in this weird, overly sentimental um, place without ever really landing. And the lyrics of You Are are so poignant. And the lyrics are mostly by Matt. Uh, and brevity is, is kind of his cake, you know? So again, it's, it's, a very, it's an alternative way to write a love song which is what I would expect from Matt Cameron. Right. And that's underscored. That's underscored by by the alternative tuning of the music and the fact that he plugs his guitar into a drum. Who does that? Plugs his guitar into a drum machine. And his, his drum machine starts playing patterns. And, and you, you can play those patterns, apparently, through whatever audio instrument you jack into this thing. So Matt jumps on the computer and he's finishing this arrangement. Again, Matt at the center of this original band experimentation. It's just this beautiful marriage of instrumentation and it spawns from his desire to be uh, creatively ambitious and and, and expand the, the threshold for this band. And you, you think of some of the lyrics. Um, take, take Sirens, right? Oh, it's a fragile thing, this life we lead. If I think too much, I can get overwhelmed by the grace by which we live our lives with death over our shoulders. To me, those are the only lyrics that from Sirens of that whole very verbose song. Those are the mm-hmm. only lyrics in that song that come close to what we get lyrically in You Are. Uh, you just you look at some of these lines here. You keep me strong. Uh, well, if I start at the beginning, right, this broken wheel was coming undone. And the road's exploding, but you're keeping me strong, rolling along with you. Love is a tower, and you're the key, leading me higher. When you let me in, keeping us close, so close. Oh, on down the lines, sometimes I burn like a dot on the sun with no one knowing, but you're keeping me strong. It's so profound on so many levels to me. And and I get it. Like people say, Paul, I mean, it's, come on, it's not... It's not Shakespeare here. It's it, it, it's pretty simple. I know that's the beauty of it. There's there's this beauty in simplicity. Um, there's a great poem. I want to say it's by William Carlos Williams. It's called the Red Wheelbarrow. It says so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. That's the whole poem. And the point of the poem is that. You need to learn to find the extraordinary in the ordinary. You need to learn to find beauty in simplicity. And this song captures that so wonderfully. So to me, it's by far my favorite Matt Cameron song. Speaking about lyrics, it's harder to articulate something really well with not a lot of words. And I and I equate it to cooking. Mm-hmm. Good analogy. If you cook something and there's five ingredients, like um, cacio e pepe, or, you know, there's a lot of pasta dishes, a lot of Italian dishes, as you well know, I well know, both heavily Italian, and you have to have high-quality ingredients for those dishes that have only a few things in them to be really good. Um, whereas if you have a ton of ingredients, you know, oh, I don't need to have this spice in there, I'll, you know, it's, it'll be fine. Well, there's a reason... And not to say that there aren't great 
dishes that have a lot of ingredients, but like it's harder to make it good if there's only a few. Right. So my pick for number one is also you are. And it's for a lot of the same reasons that you just said. But I have notes here, so I'll go ahead and uh, go down here. Um, again, soul music writer, co-wrote the lyrics with Ed. Um, it, it, it's just so unique, the, the music, compared to anything they had done before and maybe almost since. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned him, him being Matt, recording all the guitar parts himself on the actual song. Those are all him. Use the drum machine pattern um, for that um, right-sided bit. Um, apparently he set a delay time beforehand on the machine and then it starts the beat appropriately and then Stone's guitar effect is affected when they do it live. It's like a weird... Yeah, I still don't da, fully da, know da, how da, it works da, live. Da, 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 da. It's yeah. just, when it, it, it never sounds the same way on the album that it does live for some Which reason. Which is cool. I know. It's this fresh approach to the song and it still comes out unique. So from what I was reading, um, like I would say 80% of the lyrics are Matt and then Ed kind of filled mm-hmm. in the gaps there. Um, Mike said he was really excited to show friends this song when it was done. And Jeff called it Matt's How Soon Is Now, which is a song by the Smiths, if you don't know. Go look at the, up that song. And you're like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense because that song is heavy on the tremolo. And it has that, that vibey feeling to it. Right. Um, other interesting parts of this song, the ooh, ah, ooh, ah, you are, that bridge. It has these this complimentary. It's so sweet, that bridge. It's great. <laughs> These complimentary like piano parts, I had never heard mm-hmm. until recently. They are so cool. And they are. and you add the drum in there with it. Like he's just all over the place. And then in the drum break where the guitar comes back in, it makes you do that stone that head bob thing and where he's like yeah. kinda of going back like, <laughs> like a chicken, you know? Uh, also another thing I hadn't really noticed before was Matt singing backup vocals from the I think it's the second chorus on or the second verse on. And it's so cool. Again, right side of the mix. I don't know what it is about the right side of the mix, but really cool dimension that I hadn't heard of um, until I haven't really noticed until recently. And again, Mike's outro, wailing reverb, soaked solo underneath Ed's UR is, is just so cool. And the piano comes back in. That's a cool little call and response with Stone's guitar. And what a beautiful soundscape. You know, yeah. another song I can see when I'm listening to it. Hmm. And, you know, you've already gone over some of the lyrical parts of this, and it just, all together, damn, Matt, damn. That's a four-bagger, as yeah. they say in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> all right, gang, I think we've exhausted ourselves there. Uh, let's go to uh, over-under with Backspacer. This is a segment we've done before. It's called Over Under, and we're going to do a little backspacer today. So, Paul, uh, I will lead, I will have you lead off um, with your overrated song off of Backspacer The Fixer. Okay, yes, I see that. Uh, I don't know how to say this, man. It just, it felt like it just feels forced. And I know that there's something that changed in the band after Obama got elected, and there was a, an air of optimism, which I love and appreciate. These guys are allowed to not brood, you know what I mean? So it's it's not like every album has to have nothing but just contemplative protest, brooding, aching, you know. So I, I'm here for that, you know what I mean? But. They nail it with a song like Just Breathe to me, you know, uh, Amongst the Waves, those types of tracks. There's something about The Fixer. Look, when you have a track where yeah, 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 yeah becomes a lyric and it becomes panned to the point where people are starting to associate that as a Pearl Jam lyric, that tells you that maybe the song (laughs) was was probably a B-side, man. I don't know. It... It just doesn't speak to me. Now, lyrically speaking, it's touching in, in a very, I feel badly saying this as a Pearl Jam fan, contrived, trite way. I don't know. It's a, well, they're, they're could, cute. The lyrics are cute. How else do say I say a lot this? of this album feels contrived. Yeah, fair enough. But I mean, it, I, I actually think it's, a, it, it's their shortest album. I like Backspacer. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying it's at the bottom of the list in terms of their catalog but 
this particular song, it just felt like the whole Target release and then the video, it just felt like, let's just be happy. And, and I'm listening to the song and I'm thinking, this is not you. You know, this is not, I'm, this is not you at your best. You know what I mean? There's, it, it's not, I don't want to say it's not authentic because joy, there, joy should be authentic. And, and I like the optimism. And so I appreciate the song as being kind of what I would call an outlier in their catalog. But I don't think the song has a soul. <laughs> wow. It, it, I'm not saying it's commercialized or that they just, hey, let's write a song so we can put it in a Target ad. I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying that Just Breathe has the soul that I feel like the fixer wishes that it did. I don't know. It's just, it's an upbeat version of optimism that I think Just Breathe captures more authentically. Eddie and Matt are going to track you down mm. and slap that whiskey out of your mouth. I literally, yeah, they are. Well, it's a good scotch. I hope they don't. But uh, I can almost confirm that I just pissed away any chance of having any band member <laughs> on this podcast. No, 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 no. That's that. We have to put out the good vibes, man. Look, I'm not saying I skipped the song. I'm not saying it's crap. I'm just saying that it just, it doesn't feel, look, hey, how often do they play it? What does that tell you, huh? Well, how often do they play a lot of songs in the last handful of records? That's fair. That's fair. And they, they pick and choose. And we said it about Riot Act when we did the over and in Riot Act is if, if they played a song from it, it's probably going to be Save You or You Are most of the time. Yeah. Which is a shame because there's there's so many interesting tracks that I think they. Um, I, I don't think I don't think you're wrong. I'm gonna say Supersonic. Uh, oh well, all right, all right. I think it's is, f- is that overrated though? Like who loves that song? I'm not saying it's a bad um, one, but nobody's going around saying Supersonic. That's like somebody saying my favorite song off Lightning Bolt is Father's Son. <laughs> Nobody says that. Yeah. Actually, but- you, remember, you remember that guy that went to the show with us? Which Jay, guy? remember Jay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not dropping last names. Jay okay. oh, literally yeah, yeah. told me after listening to Lightning Bolt a handful of times, he's like, my favorite song is Father Son. Like, dude, are, are you out of your mind? Are you serious? <laughs> he was, he was, that, that, there was, that, there was conviction behind Some that. Some people feeling. have interesting and opinions. I respect, I, I love it, man. I, I respect it. Yeah. I joke when I say, are you out of your mind? Well, but I mean, uh, the reason why I said supersonic is because one, the fixer crossed my mind and it felt almost a little too obvious. You know? Yeah. And at the same time... Are you saying I phoned it in? No. I would never (laughs) do that. (laughs) But I I thought, you know, it's... It's a fun song, but the chord progression is immediately recognizable as a cousin to Mankind, which I think everybody kind of... It's a stone song, too. Yeah, it's a stone song. You know, the breakdown in the solo is cool, but it goes right back into the dad punk, which we've... We've right, talked about the dad nice. punk before, yeah, and how it's, ad nauseum. There's a stretch where they weren't really killing it in that area. Let's put it that way. Um, it's actually, I think, a main criticism of this album in a lot of ways, and this song kind of exemplifies that. And it feels like it could have easily been a B side to this album. Probably should. Um, I mean, with its inclusion, it's still only a 36 minute album. Yeah, it's nuts. So on top of that, I have no idea what the song is about. Anyways. <laughs> So <laughs> it's it's a fun time and I wouldn't be mad if they played it at a show that I went to, but at the same time it's like it felt like the most filler of the of the album. It is. That's why I say that it's a, it's the it's the most overrated songs because it's the first one to go. Well, that means it's just disposable. To me overrated is it means people rate it higher than maybe it deserves to be. And so I guess that's why I wouldn't pick it as an overrated song, despite agreeing with you that it is. a Okay, fair enough. I see your point. What's your uh, most underrated song? Underrated song, Speed of Sound. Interesting. It's a beautiful song, man. It's it's the only song on the album that sounds just outstanding full band or just Eddie and a guitar. There's a few different versions of this. I want to say it was it debuted as a uh, as a, a track during an Ed Solo show. So it, it kind of found its sea legs, basically, as of that. 
But I did some research on the track. And apparently, you know, it, first of all, it has these, these wonderful complex chord changes that I think there's a certain uh, magnetism to them. I mean, you listen to me like, oh, this is interesting. You know, and you're just kind of drawn in. But apparently <clears throat> there was a songwriting session that Eddie had with Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones. And he told the Toronto Globe and Mail, he said, and I quote, I was working with Ronnie Wood on a record he's putting together. He asked me if I could contribute some words, which really excited me because I love his voice. This particular song was a little difficult to transcribe, though, so it ended up in Pearl Jam's court. I played it to Brendan, Brian, uh, at four in the afternoon, and by the next afternoon, it was complete. So it's one of those serendipitous tracks Mm. that just kind of originates out of seemingly nowhere and suddenly becomes a Pearl Jam song. In a similar vein as Sleeping By Myself, another Eddie song that essentially Brendan O'Brien said, I hear that, it's a Pearl Jam song to me. I don't care if it was on your Uke album, we're putting it on a Pearl Jam album because it's a Pearl Jam song. This is too, to me. Uh, Eddie told Vertigo FM, which I believe is a German radio station, uh, back in 2009, he said that the song is actually taken from the perspective of a man who is still sitting in a bar after everyone else has left. And I just find that perspective for a song fascinating. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of that perspective before. No, you read the lyrics of the song and you wouldn't necessarily think that, but there is a certain loneliness to the song, despite the fact that, uh, and, and Ed says this, he says, you know, the song is sad to me, but it became a more confident song when I played it with my bandmates. And you hear that in the music. Um, There's a certain whimsical nature to the music of it. And I feel like it's one of those rare tracks where no matter how you play it, whether you play it just adding a guitar or you play it as a full band acoustically or you plug in, it hits, you know? And there's not a lot of songs like that. And this is this is arguably the only one on the album that does that. So to me, it's the most underrated song on the album. I wish they played it more often, to be honest with you. I am just looking up how long, how many times it's been played. And it's been played only seven times. That's nuts to me. I mean, it's a... Uh, I don't think I've ever... I mean, if somebody listening to this dislikes that song, please tell me why. Fair enough. Um, I have yet to see it myself personally. Have you seen it? I don't think I've ever heard it either. I mean, it's seven times. When was the last time it was played? Uh, last time, May 8th, 2016 in Ottawa. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well. Well, it would be totally 2020 if it was going to be featured in this tour. Right? <laughs> How 2020 would that be? Put oh, it on. We're going to play Spirit of Sound for you in every show. No, we're not going to play it all. <laughs> You're welcome. Quote, unquote, coronavirus. Well, my underrated song is Johnny Guitar. Oh, God. You don't like it? No, it's the most disposable song on the album to me. Get out of here. I'd rather listen to Supersonic than Johnny Guitar. You are crazy. I think it's really fun. The guitars are bouncing along with the the drums, Stone and Matt. It's a Stone and Matt song. That's a fun combination. And I think, here, I think people dismiss it. Because they listen to the lyrics on a very superficial level and then look at the artwork and go, oh, he just saw some picture and made some silly story out of it. No, I like the story. I, I like when Ed tells a story. Like, it, it, tell me a story. I'm totally cool with that. I just don't think it's interesting. I think it's very relatable. I think it, any, everybody has been a teenager and has, you know, yearned for something that they can't have. You know, this, oh, the, you know, it's like, it's like the Sandlot, you know. Looking at looking at Wendy Peppercorn and being like, "Oh, I'm gonna get her! I'm gonna get her!" But like you know, not not getting her. It's kind of that vibe, I get. And I think it's just very a very interesting and underrated musical song. And it's one of those songs where if they didn't just fade it out, Mike could wail over that outro for for minutes. And it's only been played 17 times, so it's actually been played more than Speed of Sound. And we both saw this song in 2009 here in Universal City. So, I actually think it's, I don't think it's disposable. I think for a long time I thought it it was a weak song and could just be chucked out, but I think I, I forced myself to listen to it more, um, more critically, and found a lot of things that I liked about it 
um, kind of in the same way that I looked at um, Amongst the Waves and found a much, obviously it's, a, it's not the same level, but found another level that I didn't see was there before. Right. I mean, look, you want a song about somebody playing guitar. This, to me, go listen to Never Destination at that point. That 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 right there is an interesting track. But it's not about playing guitar. Well, look, look at the end of that, that song. She was a singer in a rock and roll band, had command of all her voices, turned herself into a hologram. It all came down to choices. I, I just... I don't know. It's it, it, what they're trying to do in that song. I think is far more successful in a, in a track like "Never Destination." That to me just look. You said trite, contrived. That's a lot of backspacer. To me, this song exemplifies that. So the the internet can can divide, can uh, separate us here. The internet will decide. They will decide. <laughs> All right. All right, Paul, this week's Lyric of the Week comes from, hey, look at that, you are off of Riot Act. you to lead things off here um you really love this song you made me fall in love with it all over again so let's talk about these lyrics Mm -hmm. you know i i i don't want to sound redundant just reviewing them but when i think about these lyrics as i mentioned before they are as a ballad what i think i wanted lyrically sirens to be and there's this provocative imagery that gets created in that simplicity. And if, if you just, something as simple as this, the broken wheel is coming undone and the road's exploding, but you're keeping me strong, rolling along with you, right? All this is leading up to those lines. Love is a tower, you're the key. On the surface, that, that line may even come across as, as cliche to some. Leading me higher, when you let me in, keeping us close down the line. And this is, I, I burn like a dot on the sun with no one knowing, but you're keeping me strong. It's, there's these beautiful similes and metaphors. If I was to teach a class on figurative language and I was looking for great examples of simile and metaphor, this song has it. It really is very textbook in its approach to creating that, that figurative language. And it stands out, man. It really, really does. It's, it's a fine, fine output. I think it's his finest song that he's contributed to the band. I mean, I think we both agree because we chose it as our favorite song of his. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, th- this set specifically kind of, I think we often choose sets of lyrics that really are microcosms of a, of a greater theme of the song because they really truly kind of like hit that nail, kind of the tip of the iceberg kind of thing. You know, when you're down, you're feeling broken, maybe vulnerable from a, uh, and hurt from a previous relationship, and then you meet the right person to bring you back. I mean, that's, that's massive. Um, being mm-hmm. so low to be brought back up. And I, I think of, you know, we've talked about this before. I think about my marriage again, you know, you, you meet someone to quote, bring me higher when she let me in. You know, uh, I could have quoted this in my vows and it would have made all the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, love being a tower, it takes work to get to the top, but first you have to get inside. And my wife w- was the key to me feeling like I could finally get inside that tower. And then she's the one that's leading me up there that has the strength to, to get to that point. And that's so, why she has a five hour hair appointment, Jason. Evidently. 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 I mean, she's. How else are you supposed to climb the tower? You got to hold on to something, buddy. The highlights look beautiful. It's all worth it. <laughs> so, I mean, that's wh- that's where this song comes from. And, and again, maybe it was one of those things back in the day where I couldn't really identify because I hadn't really felt what this song was articulating. Yeah. And maybe now that I have, it makes all the sense. And you start hearing the things that that build on the words and it all kind of comes together. But yeah, this is such a cool song and this is a great it set is. of lyrics. 
I'm surprised you haven't asked me why I chose these lyrics for this week. Why did you choose them? Oh, well, since you asked. <laughs> Pray tell. That's Paul, what I do why? here. Why, why these lyrics? Well, uh, you know, I've been very, um, I, I, I've had a, like, I've been on a bit of a, a, a roll with these lyrics where I, I'm kind of choosing ones and I'm using them as, as a backdrop to just vent. <laughs> hey, <laughs> At least that's, a, it that's how it has felt. But you know, it's, it's really a response to our, our, our current circumstances. And I felt like this song was the perfect counterbalance to that because every single person right now is battling in some way or another. And I think that we need to remember that, that love really is, is a tower and the you could be anything, man. It could be a child. It could be a spouse. It could be a passion project. It could be a talent, a language that you're learning, a road trip. I don't know what it is for you, but it's something. And now is the time that you need to, to grab that key and you need to let that lead you higher. And, and because it will let you in, you know, or she or he or they or it, whatever it is, will let you in. Uh, don't lose the opportunity to do that because more than ever, this is, this is the time where it's most needed. And so, I don't know, I, I guess maybe it was the fixer that kind of opened up my eyes to this. It was like, Paul, it's time for some, some, some poppy from you on this show. And so I decided to, to bring that in. You know, it reminds of course, me of- I didn't bring it in with a pop song. I brought it in with a, uh, you know, uh, some bizarre, you know, alternative tuning. <laughs> Whatever gets Whatever. you there. It works. Whatever gets you there, man. Yeah, Whatever I mean, this reminds me of when we talked about Tony Cornell's cover of Black. It's like, yeah, we always associate that song with romantic love and yearning. But from her perspective, it's, you know, a father perhaps is, yeah. is the star in someone else's sky. And that's the same thing about this is it's not necessarily a romantic love. I mean, I took it that way because that's how I finally figured it out for myself. Mm-hmm. But in the context of COVID, and, you know, we, we have listeners all around the world, you know, hello to Romania, hello to Australia, hello to Canada and Ireland and Brazil. It's fantastic. I, I love that we have, you know, I can look up the analytics of this show and just see where everyone's kind of coming from. And people will comment and we've gotten um, little messages and little stories from people all over the place. And, you know, everyone, every, every country is focused on this thing and, and handled it in a different way, some better than others. Um, and, at different points in the, this timeline, we all have to go through something challenging and something like this, you know, what is that key that brought you through this and brought you to the top of the tower? I don't know. Only you can answer that. But again, another song by Pearl Jam that can be attributed in a way that you wouldn't ordinarily think it to be layers, layers, like a fine croissant. Yeah. Anyways, on to our live card of the week. Ready? And of course, our live card of the week is you are. Paul, where are we going? We are going to Illinois on April 23rd, 2003. The University of Illinois Assembly Center, actually. And, the Fighting uh, Illini. Yes. <laughs> hey, Tan, come on. Exactly. Um, the supporting act that day, that evening, was Sparta, which, which may surprise some people because they were... Are they, I don't even know if they're still together, but uh, I remember this, this band. They hit pretty hard, man. And, and I thought it was the perfect band to serve as a supporting act for this tour because there are so many shows in 03 that just hit hard. Um, and this one did very, very much so. Wasn't that an offshoot of uh, At the Drive-In when they broke up? Wasn't Sparta uh, one of the offshoots? Maybe. I, feel, I want to say it, it was. Someone's going to correct me, but I feel like it was. But anyways, continue. Well, this particular show, they just brought it. Um, you had the band and the crowd were just in sync the whole time. Um, there was a lot of callbacks, a lot of chanting, a lot of Ed just kind of playing with the crowd. You know, the notes that I get off, I wasn't there uh, obviously, but the notes they get off two feet thick for in, their, in their concert chronology. 
mean, just listen to this. By the end of the song, the, and when I say the song, I'm referring to Black in this case, but it's towards the end of the show. By the end of the song, the crowd is ready to blow the roof off of the place. And that's exactly what happens when the house lights come on. The band starts baba. The whole place just goes completely clinically insane. <laughs> the band included Mike, Jeff, and Stone are pogoing and running around like wild animals, doing strange dances, boom, grinning his ass off, flailing his hair around, and Matt stack, attacks his drums, pardon me. Ed goes through at least five tambourines, Pearl Jam at its best. How, yeah. how is this not the best version of UR if it took place in the set list of this show? And oh, by the uh, way, this is, if you guys don't know, this is uh, a show that is not considered an ape man show, which is- I know. A number I don't get of shows. It. I, it was like twelve shows, ten, eight shows that the band I, was like, "These are the these are the quintessential shows from the Riot Act tour." Apparently, and so you know, I would I would love to see this show as like a video, just to feel like you know, what was it like to be there? Because I would just like to see the energy of that place, mm. unless it's just you know whoever wrote this this description on two feet that maybe that's a personal perception of what the show was like, but. Just the, the band certainly brought their A game, it sounds like. Now, this particular version of UR, you know, I searched far and wide, high and low, to find a version of this song that the band really seemed to gel throughout the entire song, but notably the opening. There's something about that opening, and you touched on it when you said how unique it was. If, if, there, if that opening just doesn't quite land for me, if it's not quite as crisp, it's, it's a version of the song that to me, I, it's not their best version. Well, it can fall off the rails because then that, that whole rhythm with, with Stone and Matt has to be on point. And if it, it kind does. of starts wobbling, then you're not going to be in sync. Right, exactly. And so it's like a top that you just see kind of wobbling back and forth and you know it's about to fall apart and you just hope they get through the song in time before it does. This particular version, that baby is spinning, it is level, and it's going to go. It's a totem in Inception. It is. It is the totem of Inception, and it will spin as long as they want it to. And that's the version of this song that I wanted to hear. Uh, and they gave it to us. And so for me, it's the best version I think you will hear of this song. All right. Well, let's listen to it. It's uh, April 23rd, 2003 in Champaign, Illinois.
Oof. The energy just comes through the speakers on that one. And a couple of things that I picked up on there was, man, Mike Solo's really cool, really wah heavy. It, it augmented the, um, you know, the drum machine guitar bits really, really well. And the boom organ swells in between Ed's singing was really cool. It, it wasn't like the album because the album is more of a piano thing and it's not a calm response as much. Right. But so boom kind of does his own little thing here and it totally works. Another interesting thing about this show is it's on campus. Therefore it's dry and no alcohol. Mm-hmm. So imagine a bunch of college kids seeing this band with no, well, I shouldn't say no booze because they probably pregame like crazy somewhere else, oh, for but sure. Oh, the vibe of that show. You're right. I need to see, I was actually watching funny enough. I was watching, um, the 2016 Philadelphia show where they played 10 in its entirety earlier oh, okay. today. One of the guys on, on YouTube, God, I forget his name, Mr. MFC or something like that, compiles fan video, like like shot from phones, and then puts it to the, puts soundboard, it to the quality. soundboard quality audio. Yeah. And it's just, you go out the whole show, basically. It's fantastic. And I wonder if he's gone back or if somebody has some home recording of that show. There must be. Um and, and just go back and watch that because man alive does the does the boot sound great and so mm-hmm. does reading that synopsis. So whew, I'm tired just thinking about it. <laughs> well anywho, guys, um that was a lot of fun. And um again, a reminder, coming soon will be a uh, a multiple part series talking about tribute bands, Paul. Mm-hmm. We've got um, some tribute bands that I think a lot of you are going to recognize. And just, you know, what is it about a tribute band? You know, Pearl Jam, especially not coming to certain parts of the, of the world that often. Right. Um, I would think of, you know, parts of Asia and, and South America don't always get a taste. Even parts of the South and Midwest of the United States don't always it's get a taste. Taiwan in 95 or something. <laughs> I mean, so if you have a tribute band then that's the next best thing. Um, and so we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit, have interviews with these guys, and really get to the bottom of it. And it's going to be a fun little series. So look out for that in the, in the next handful of weeks whenever we get through it, and uh, that'll be fun. But, and in the um, meantime, you should find us wherever podcasts are found, and you should you should subscribe. Mm-hmm. We would love it if you would rate. And if you review... Jason, I think we need to start thinking about ways to reward some of our listeners that, that we review. Well, I think first and foremost, you get a shout out on the show. Absolutely. I mean, that goes without saying. But I, I'd like to think a little outside the box. I'd like to think in alternate tunings, the way Matt Cameron would inspire us to do and find a way. <laughs> exactly. We will think of something, but subscribe, rate, review, give us some love because you have all of ours. Tell your you friends to get on this thing, man. You yeah. know? By the way, one last thing. One last p- piece of housekeeping. We also have designs for uh, episodes down the line. I call them fan roundtables. Mm-hmm. And wherever you're from, if you're from South Korea, if you're from Italy, if you're from the Netherlands, whatever, reach out to us because we are going to assemble. A, a gaggle, I think is the proper term, of fans, and we're going to have a, a roundtable discussion about the band in your country, the history of it, shows that you've gone to, your experiences. That's what we want to talk about. That's another series of shows that we will be doing, so please get at us. That'll be fun. Uh, we'll leave it there. We'll be back again next week with more. What that is, I don't know. We'll figure it out. It'll be, it'll be fun. We'll do it together. Paul, always fun. Always a blast. Yeah, of course. You have been listening to, you've all been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Yeah.